to the Mad Max Minute. Although we've come to the end of the road, I still can't let go. It's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 90. Did you forget or are you making a joke? Are you wondering what happened to two? Because so is Pig Killer in this minute, because it's Minute 92, Mm. which begins with Max performing a delicate medical procedure. And it ends with Jedediah Jr. jumping into an old Chrysler Royal. Joining us once again with that Philadelphia swagger and coolie high harmony are Karen and Liz. Hey there. I don't know if I can accept that descriptor. I'm from Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was... <sighs> no, oh, I, I know. Oh, gosh. Say, welcome back to 90s week at Mad Max Minute. (laughs) It's totally radical and tubular. Absolutely. It's rad in every sense of the word. And we're still failing at the presidential fitness tests. Mm. (laughs) So true. (laughs) As we discussed at the tail end of Monday's Minute, Max has climbed to the front of the train and he has found that there is a harpoon sticking out of the car door with a little trail of blood dripping down from the hole. And there is Pig Killer there, and Max grabs a hold of the handle of the door, and he looks at his friend, and he says, we're going to count to three. Wait a second. There's a little dribble of blood down from the hole? Mm -hmm. Where would that have come from? The train. (laughs) Wait, what do you mean? On the door? Yeah. On the outside of the door? On the outside of the door. It would have dribbled out along on the harpoon shaft. Oh, yeah, it depends if it went in. That makes sense, because the harpoon was coming at a lower angle. So the harpoon itself would be slightly depressed, and so gravity might just pull the arterial spray down the shaft of the arrow. The arterial spray that doesn't exist, as we saw the inside of the cab a couple of weeks ago, is a remarkably non-bloody wound. There's nothing about this wound that makes any sort of good sense. (laughs) (laughs) As we discussed when we got that lovely shot of the giant metal bar sticking out of pig killer's leg with those huge bladed flanges there's no way that what we saw there was anything representative of this actual harpoon and it's doubly so because if there were large blades on the end of any sort of harpoon like this a it would have done a lot more damage going through his leg but it would do an incredible amount of damage at the very end of this scene yeah yeah max is looking at pig killer and of course pig killer just looks sickly white as if all of the color has drained from his face because you know there's a giant hole in him and it's leaking through the door and pig killer says okay you know we're gonna count to three i'm with you and so they both say one and then max rips the door open Mm. okay no (laughs) (laughs) just for me emotionally no but also physically biologically no there's just no way He doesn't rip the door open enough to move that harpoon all the way back through a grown man's thigh. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, how far did it go in, though? It went through the entire leg. Went through the whole leg? Yeah. The entire leg. Oh. It was sticking out the other side, fully sticking out the other side. 
He's got so very skinny legs. Pulling it back, I mean, he was a manual laborer, so he probably did have skinny legs. <laughs> you seem skeptical. It still doesn't work. Why wouldn't he use the hacksaw and hack that harpoon in between where it's going into his leg and between where it's coming out of the door so they could open the door freely now? There was no time. There was no time to get the hacksaw Jim Duggan of this particular adventure. That kid's really quick with a hacksaw, though. He's very quick with a hacksaw. valid point. All right, I'm going to turn around my laptop so you can see just how bad this wound was depicted. Okay. Just as a quick refresher. Okay. Oh, mm, oh, God, no. Oh, wait a second. Yeah. No, the shape of that, oh, mm. Yeah, because see, you're going to pull that out, and that's going to... That can't, no, that's going to... How you would, yeah, you would have to push the harpoon further into... Now, bear in mind, I'm not a medical professional, (laughs) But I would imagine the better way to handle this would be to push the harpoon further into his leg so there's more space between the head of the arrow and more of the shaft, and then you could hacksaw through the shaft. Or Or what you would do in an emergency room situation is leave it and then deal with it later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, leave it in. You don't... You just you don't pull it out. You you do the thing where you you hack off the, the butt end of it so that... You can later continue pulling it the rest of the way through yeah. without the fletching on the end or whatever. It's not fletching because it's not it's not it's not an arrow. Yeah. It's a harpoon, but whatever's at the end, you just you hack that off so that you just got the shaft to pull through. Mm-hmm. We're saying shaft a lot right we now. We are, and it was making me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> the not way me. the way they need to, <laughs> the way they need to treat this is exactly how they tell you to treat a fishing hook accident. When you've got a fishing hook stuck in your thumb, it's going to sound gross and squeamish. And Julia, I can already already see that you're flinching. You push the hook through your Mm -hmm. finger enough Mm -hmm. that the barb comes out. You snip the barb Mm -hmm. off with wire cutters, and then you can slip the whole thing back out the way it came. Yep, yep, yep. When you've got those tearing edges, (sighs) if Max had done this with what we saw back in minute 88, it would have literally ripped pig killer's leg open oh yeah yeah like a kid ripping open a bag of potato chips yeah and you're gonna hit some i mean along with just the nerve damage and the vascular damage and the muscle damage and the there are lots of veins there and arteries mm-hmm. there's important there's stuff a, happening a big, in your legs. oh there's a big artery further up the leg though isn't it? it's like femoral is that femoral the one artery? is that the one that's like at the base of the thigh yeah, yeah. it's like okay. runs on the inside like by the crotch area yeah mm, okay well at least that one got missed probably maybe The only way I can see this being an acceptable thing that won't tear Pig Killer apart is if the origin of that hacksaw was something that Tubba and Kusha found in the cab of that vehicle. And while the train was running along, they used that hacksaw very carefully to cut off the end of that harpoon. Mm -hmm. I say very carefully because as you saw in that screenshot from Minute 88, the head of that harpoon is right next to Pig Killer's sensitive areas. Yes. And if they're hacksawing haphazardly, <laughs> cause more damage. Yeah. So I'm going to assume that they found the hacksaw in the cab, they cut off the end of the harpoon, and that's how Max justifiably wrenched the door open, tearing the harpoon out of Pig Killer's leg. I think that's an easy enough headcanon to accept. <laughs> or maybe the harpoon comes apart. Like maybe it was a mass-produced like harpoon and it has like a like a, a screwed on end, and like just you know lefty loosey righty tighty. Yep. Or even if it wasn't well. even screwed on, it was just like popped on there, as if yeah. you had a pipe and then you've got a harpoon head that just kind of fits over it, 
and it's meant to come apart. There's a little I IKEA so... instruction thing with a yeah. little <laughs> the amorphous dude that's just kind of like eh, eh. and someone with a pencil like standing nearby like eh, that's how you do it. There's supposed to be a screw that you tighten down to keep the harpoon attached to the shaft, oh but they God. just ran out of those screws, so they just pop them on the thing. And the fact that the harpoon gun is pushing the shaft. It keeps the head on there. Ideally, if you're there... hunting giant irradiated game, which I assume exists, because why the heck not at this point? You get these big old harpoons and you fire them into the animals. You pull the shaft back out and then the animal's like, oh, I've got something pointy in me. I guess I'm going to die now. And you just cut that out before you eat it. And I'd imagine maybe making things like that kind of as modular as they are is just a good way to, you know, reuse stuff. If you've yeah. got finite resources, the last thing you want to do is like lose an arrowhead in something, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that there are giant radiated animals in the Mad Max universe. That's more Fallout than anything else. But if you've got detachable harpoon heads, you can launch it into a giant tire, for instance, and that piece of metal goes through the rubber, pops off, and now you've got this pointy piece of metal inside a tire to just shred it further as the whole thing deflates. Very handy. I like the idea of their weaponry being modular-based, because it's not like an organized armory where everybody is issued the same gun or the same rifle. It's hodgepodge. Everybody's got something different. Half of it's homemade. Half of it's just made up. Yeah, so things have to be able to work with a variety of weapons. It's like a cross between the world before we had mass production and that scene when Apollo 13 where they're like, we have a round air filter... <laughs> and a square opening and you make it work they're like well this is what we have eh. if you want more about that story you can check out apollo 13 minute nice i think they're at apollo 13 minute.com or something like that find it on itunes you do the legwork i'm tired you have the googles <laughs> you can't rely on me for everything i can't link to everything i say it's just not how it works hey can you tie my shoe for me real quick rick no oh. google it yourself Oh, <laughs> Alexa, tie my shoe. <laughs> Why isn't it working? I'm sorry, Liz. I can't do that. Oh, God, open the pod bay doors. <laughs> For more information on that story, <laughs> check out Open the Pod Bay Doors, Hal, the 2001 A Space Odyssey movie by Minute podcast. So how many years is that going to be going on? A long time. That's job security right yeah. there. Is what that is. <laughs> Go to moviesbyminutes.com. You'll find them all there. It'd be super easy. Speaking of relying on other people, while Max is busy dealing with Pig Killer, Savannah is actually keeping an eye on the tracks ahead, and she suddenly sees something that is very concerning. What's odd about this is that Savannah chooses to climb forward on the train, grab Max by the shoulder, shake him, and then point. It feels like she's suddenly gone mute. Why doesn't she, like, cry out? Okay, yeah. I get it's loud. There's wind. Yeah. yeah. We know that they're going about 16 miles an hour, and that's not that big a deal. But in the story, they're going much faster, where the wind would be a big deal. It just feels weird that she's not saying anything. She's like the very opposite of Iron Bar, yeah. who is crying out... And yelling at everything that happens. She is making absolutely no noise at all. 
Maybe you can explain it as fear. You know, she she can't summon up the words to say uh, there is an obstruction ahead of us, and we will crash and derail if we if we don't slow down now. I think summoning up the words is hitting the nail right on the top of the head because this whole train situation is brand new to Savannah and really all of the waiting ones. They've never seen a train before. They had technically seen a plane. They just today saw automobiles. They're putting these all three things together and like, wow, this would make a really good movie. Planes, trains, and automobiles. But they actually haven't seen a plane today. That was earlier in the scene a couple of days before. But we will finally get all three in one single day. I digress. It's very (laughs) similar to Ellie Sattler's reaction when she sees the Brachiosaur for the first time in the first Jurassic Park movie. Like she raises herself out of the Jeep and then kind of like looks into the distance and there's, you know, Alan Grant is still down there. You know, kind of talking, and she, like, moves his head to make him look. Strike that. Reverse it. This way, please. So, I mean, I'm sure there's a trope on this. I can think of times when, like, that's just happened to me in real life. Yeah. I don't know why this is the first instance to come to mind, but I went to see a show with Caitlin, Mm -hmm. and it was the ART, the American Repertory Theater's production of Prometheus Bound, Mm -hmm. which was... An amazing job of taking my least favorite Greek tragedy and turning it into a rock musical. As you do. Full of beautiful people in leather pants and Uzo Aduba with an amazing solo. But while we were there in the crowd, because it's just sort of like all done there on the floor and you just kind of have to get out of the way as they roll around platforms. I'm sitting there with Caitlin and I look over and I see the composer of the musical, Serge Tankian of System of a Down. And I see him. And now my brain is like, that's Serge Tonkian from this, the, from the musical band, System of a Down. Caitlin should look over there. Caitlin, you must look over to see this person who's in the crowd, who was mouthing along the words to the music, and I suddenly recognized him. All I could do, without even moving the rest of my body, was reach over one hand and just smack Caitlin on the arm a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> and when she looked at me, there were still no words exchanged, she just looked at me, she looked where I was still looking wide-eyed and kind of paralyzed, and she looked over, and that was also the best double take I've ever seen someone do in real life. Because... <laughs> Caitlin is a huge fan. It was all dialogueless. Like, it was just sort of like there were no words that were coming to mind. My mouth was like, nope, that, this, this isn't working right now. And so my hand is like, I guess I'll do the job. If I was writing that scene, I probably would have had you said, Caitlin, wake up. Grab a brush and put a little makeup. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd be like, did you just scratch the fade away to shake up? <laughs> Why did you put your keys upon the table? There are no actual words in that song. What are you doing? <laughs> I don't think you trust in my self-righteous suicide. That's all I can say. <sighs> See, I think I have the exact opposite problem. When I find myself in that situation, it's not that I can't find words, it's that I can only find the wrong ones. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, when presented with, I was at a Comic-Con, and we were standing two feet away from Haley Atwell, Mm -hmm. and I hit my friend, and I was like, look, and the only thing I could say was, I love your shoes! (laughs) (laughs) She was wearing flip-flops. It wasn't an incorrect statement. Oh, your shoes, that's right. And it wasn't, you know, it was just should not have come out of my mouth, nor should it have come out of that volume, (laughs) considering she was like two feet away from me, and she turned and she was like, oh, thank you, and then she like, you know, Peggy Cartered her way through the rest of the thing. <laughs> so I have, like, if, if it were me in this scene, it would have just been like, you know, I don't know, because um, when I see him in the, the thing, it's all I could think of is uh, um, uh, Dark Helmet when he's combing the desert because it just, it's this giant hat. So that's what I probably would have yelled. <laughs> Dark Helmet! Like, you know, I would have been completely unhelpful in this situation, so. 
Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> I can't think of any situation in which I've been dumbfounded. I just have... I'm thinking of a couple of more instances now, honestly. <laughs> I have the just awful, awful habit of just oversharing, you know, that sort of thing. Just saying things like, you didn't need to say that, Rick. You didn't need to. Just, no. Yeah. <laughs> We were at, what was the con in South Carolina that we went to? The little one, Escapist? The Escapist Expo. The Escapist Expo. In Raleigh. And there was a reality competition star. I can't remember from what show. Something that we'd enjoyed. Well, he was like the third or fourth runner up. And he was there. And so Rick goes up to him and starts chatting with him. And tells the guy that I had a bit of a crush on the guy who beat him. I'm like, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for telling him that. Awkward. That, mm-hmm. that, that speaks to me. That That is a situation that resonates with my soul. I'm with you. I would raise a glass if I had one worth raising. Well, I'm just glad Julie is remembering all of these things archived because <laughs> I guess I scrubbed it from my memory. <laughs> Julie's probably got a blackmail folder on me if I ever cross her in some way. I feel like that's more of a blackmail folder on me. <laughs> <laughs> You say, like, reality competition thing, and I don't even remember... You remember the nerd competition show, King of the Nerds? Oh, Was it yeah. King of the Nerds? Yeah. Uh, okay. I do remember that show. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was hosted by those guys that were in the movie Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. Yeah. Oh. It was this whole thing. I think they actually stocked that show with ringers, though. They weren't nerds like you and me who I like Star Wars and Legos and podcasting. <laughs> they weren't those kind of nerds. They were, I work for NASA and I have a physics degree. I'm a doctor. They were those oh, kinds of legit nerds. nerds. They were legit credentialed nerds. That, yeah. that to me is usually where I draw the distinction between geek and nerd. Is like, I'm a geek because mm. I'm not smart. <laughs> like nerds are like extra smart and like have credentials. But yeah, but you're also a nerd because like, you know that it's smart not to rip a harpoon out of someone's leg. You've that's got you've basic got first aid people. Well, I mean, Max apparently uh, forgets that stuff. That's true. He's had a rough go of it. Yeah, I guess he's had a couple of bad days here and there. <laughs> yeah. I would assume that Max has the credentials needed to know not to do this. This is true. As a cop, he would have received basic first aid training and should know better. Maybe he's just still kind of mad at Pig Killer. Pig Killer did kind of hijack the situation, didn't he? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He did. He really did. So this is Max's payback? His his little revenge. His little like, all right, well, I'm not going to give you the best of my bedside manner. (laughs) (laughs) If you had been nice to me, I would have counted all the way up to three. I've known, like, first aid type folks, like ER doctors, and, like, they're going to heal you, but every once in a while, I was like, all right, you are definitely mouthing off at me. This is going to sting a little more than it usually does. Oh, yeah. I've heard stories from ER nurses that if they get a particularly belligerent case who comes into the ER and they're just a raging drunk who's being an awful, awful person, if they need to get cathed, maybe their catheter is a size too high. Maybe there's, it's, you know, just a little bit more uncomfortable than it needs to be. That's the story I was thinking of. (laughs) Don't make them angry. No, you would not like them when they are angry. Yeah, They they know where the pain goes. Yeah. Although, I mean, there is something to be said for the element of surprise. Because there are people 
who, you know, you go to give them an injection and you're waiting mm-hmm. for it. And it never hurts more than the anticipation of the thing says it's gonna, mm-hmm. it's gonna hurt. But it enhances it that much more. I'm a lot better these days, but I've never liked needles. And I used to really get nervous about them. And I still will look away. Oh, I don't. I watch. Sometimes I'll be like, I'll, you know, I'll count down before I put it in, you know, before I like stick you. And I'm like, no, just do it. Just do it. Don't tell me. Because it never feels like I'm anticipating it, it's going to feel. But if I know the exact moment's going to come in, as soon as it's in there, I'm going to start jumping. My brain is going to be like, oh, God, there's the needle. It's sticking through my skin. Just count to three and then do it on two. That's fine. Yeah. I have in the past told my phlebotomist, okay, I'm going to start talking to you, conversating and whatnot. Just go and put the needle in my arm mid-conversation. Mm-hmm. Don't stop me. Don't say, okay, I'm going to stick you now. Yeah. We're going to conversate. You can ignore me, but I'm going to talk to you as if we're having a conversation and you just do your thing because I don't want to think about it. Yeah. Actually, I had to work with students for a while and at one point we suddenly upped our vaccination requirements at the school and needed to walk a whole bunch of foreign students who were there to learn English and try to explain to them we need to stick you with needles. (laughs) (laughs) So I was sitting there with a lot of shaky students just talking with them and making them concentrate on trying to converse in English with me. To get them to get through the process of getting stuck with needles by American doctors. There's a story. Isn't that uh, one of the things they did with Anne Boleyn before she was beheaded? Have you heard this story? No. The idea with needles? No, 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 no. It's slightly different. It's more of the distraction as a way of... They had told her that they had gotten this, like, famous executioner who was definitely could kill her with one blow. And they went, and there he is. And she looked up and he was behind her. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Oh. That's something that has been done, like. And they showed that in. Yeah, the TV show. Which TV show was it? It was the one with John Rhys Davies, at least. Oh, the Tudors? Yeah, the The, Natalie Dormer. The angry masturbating show? Well, it was, it was, that, Yeah. No, but also in Wolf Hall. That's the one. The oh, better really? one. Wolf Hall, yeah. <laughs> the better one. Yeah. They sort of like, the executioner does this little quiet, like, kicks off his shoes and does this little quiet dance behind her and, like, makes a noise on one side. She turns that way and then he comes in on the other side and hacks her head off. Okay. I've tried to watch The Tudors and I couldn't get into it. It's not good. No. Yeah. It's not great. It's mm, it's just a bunch of, like, pretty Hollywood types in costumes that they don't really look at home in all the time. And the history is... Flexible, which is usually fine if it's still entertaining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It just feels like it's trying to be edgy at me all the time when I watched it. There was another medieval-y type show we watched with John Reese davies made by MTV, The oh. Shannara Chronicles. Oh. oh, yeah. That one. I actually watched way more of it than I expected to. Oh, we watched we all watched of it. Yeah. The first season. Yeah, yes. we watched the first Same. season. We did not go back for any subsequent seasons. <laughs> no. if they also I don't regret spending my time watching it, but I'm not going to spend any more time watching it. Yeah. I was just really fascinating as I'm watching it from like a, I guess like a storytelling perspective. Because I was like, this is coming full circle. Like if I had told 12-year-old Liz in all her nerdy glory with her glasses too big and just people picking on her for the sci-fi and fantasy books she's reading. They're like, you know that book series you started and been meaning to get back to? Yeah, they're going to make that into a show. It's going to be on MTV. It's going to be full of pretty people. It's going to be very catering to, like, the jock crowd that's making fun of you for your nerdiness right now. Like, I think I just would have, like, vanished into the wilderness at yeah. that point and just eschewed society altogether. I think what confused me most about the Shannara Chronicles is that it takes place in a post-apocalyptic Earth. Mm, that's the one thing I knew going into the series. Yeah. Like, I knew about that. I knew that about the books, but that was really it. Like, they go to Seattle or Portland or something like that. And I'm like, 
Wait a second. This isn't like some made up Tolkien place. This no, is like they here. tell you in the opener really? that you're on yeah. Earth. Yeah, they tell you like the they, basic history they show you of the little timeline. Okay, yeah, yeah that I totally it's so missed far that part. into the future that humans have died out for the most part. They're not gone, gone. Like the whole world has diminished and society is split into like humans have split into these other races or whatever. That's what's implied by the opening okay. sequence. If I think you watch I, the yeah. opening sequence. I think I, it tells you repeatedly. I think yeah, I skipped with the graphics sequence. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very clearly drawn out. I, I agree. Yeah, I don't think I was paying attention to that. I did like the world building. Yeah, the story and the characters I really could give or take, but I really enjoyed the world building. So I wonder if you might like the books better than the adaptation. I think so. The characters were a little too pretty and sexy and perfect for me. Oh my god, yeah. That's what, that's the MTV MTV. part. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Sorry, are we on the Shannara podcast is what we're doing, right? No, (laughs) we're not talking about Shannara, we're talking about Savannah. Um, Close, but no cigar. uh As we mentioned before, she sees something up ahead on the tracks, and so she brings it to Max's attention, and Max, wordlessly, pulls the door aside some more, puts his foot into the cab, and slams on the brake. And of course, we see the wheels squealing and sparking as they slow down, and ahead on the tracks is a wee lad holding a couple of firearms that are larger than himself. He's definitely wearing uh, a lot more stuff than his little frame is meant to carry. <laughs> yeah. He's so cute. Which is not the reaction you want to have with the child and the large guns. <laughs> He's trying so hard to be menacing and intimidating and to take control of this situation. And then there's the viewers who are like, oh my goodness, He's so adorable. This is not threatening at all. No. Except this is a child in a dangerous situation with a firearm. Mm-hmm. And based on what we've seen of Jedediah Jr. from earlier, that he can actually fly and land a plane all by himself. I believe that he yeah. can shoot those guns and that he will shoot those guns at me. Guaranteed. There are children his age who, can, who, can, who know how to shoot a target and can do it well. We've seen how deadly a child his age is with a hacksaw, so I mean... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I'm just looking at the size of those firearms. One is literally taller than him, and that is... <clears throat> A Stevens single-barreled shotgun with some kind of expanded barrel at the end. The other one, in his other hand, I mean, is an M1 carbine, similar to the one that Max used to intimidate Savannah and try and keep her from leaving the crack in the earth when he blew up the melon and shot a hole in the water skin and all that other stuff. But I look at him and how small he is and how big those guns are, and I just feel like the force of the shot would throw him backwards like Will Smith in Men in Black. That is... Uh, arguably true yeah <laughs> yeah that yeah. seems about right yeah there would definitely be something a little police academy-esque of him trying to like fire off the kickback alone oh just. absolutely like police academy yeah let's make this scene just a little bit more goofy and have him actually fire at them and fly off the back of that mountain i mean if you were to anchor himself a bit you know maybe like it would keep him from flying back he just uh, it just become his feet would become a fulcrum, and he just spin back onto his back. Yeah, that's no good. I mean, you still I'm, get the shot off, though. I'm so thankful for this minute, though, because it's <laughs> far less harrowing than the previous minute, which I'm still traumatized about. <laughs> like I said, definitely like veers right into comedy. Right? I mean, like it, before Jedediah Junior actually comes into view, like we still get what happened to three. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up Police Academy because the Police Academy <laughs> movies have a soft spot in my heart. I was going to say that's the only time in recorded history that sentence has ever been said. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I look at Jedediah Jr. and it reminds me of Marion Ramsey, who played Laverne Hooks, and she had this mousy oh, little voice. Yes. And she was a rather tiny woman, and she went to the police academy, and so she had to try and be intimidating. And she'd be this tiny little black lady with a gun. She'd be like, stop, thief. And then she'd get chewed out by the, the commandant and stuff like that. And it would be really funny. And then eventually, when she did find her voice, it was like Yosemite Sam. Yep. Yeah. It was like, Lord! like holy crap. It's so great. Me, All right, maggots! <laughs> Go full Miss Piggy. It was great. I love those movies. I'm so afraid to watch them now, but I loved those movies growing up. Yeah, same. I haven't watched them as an adult. I don't think I have either. They we'll used to, to play them a lot on network television, and that's how I got exposed yeah. to them. And so I'm pretty sure I've seen all seven of them. I can promise you I've not seen more than number one. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen all seven like in their entireties, but... I, I know I've seen enough of them to the point where even Steve Gutenberg was like, you know what? I think I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Michael Winslow, on the other hand, pretty much there, I think, for all of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Jedediah Jr. is putting on his best intimidating voice, and he informs the people in the train that he has stopped that this is a stick-up, and that if anybody moves, they are dead meat. He's so cute. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, logistically, the tracks continue behind him. Mm -hmm. So, in theory, you would run the risk of derailing the train, but you could power through, right? Maybe? It depends on how heavy that pile is. Like and how like packed it. down it is. If it's just dirt covering rocks, then that could be a lot of trouble. But if it's just like loose dirt that he's shoveled up on there without padding it down, might be able to press through. I think the thing that would be dangerous is getting the dirt underneath the wheels of the train, lifting it up off the tracks. Off the tracks, yeah. Especially where this is really just... The engine car. Mm. I don't oh. think there's really that much weight to this thing on the scale of train cars. Yeah, it doesn't course. have it doesn't have the momentum of the other cars propelling it forward once they kind of get going. Right. Is that how that would work? No. 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 Well, when you like when you stop a train, pulling. you have to, you know, because the whole train is going at a certain acceleration, and yeah. if you want to slow it down, I don't know if all the cars. I mean, I'm assuming. All I mean, that's yeah. Well, yes, in, but that's is know. it mass in the equation somewhere? Yeah. yeah. M, so M the mass of the entire train acceleration's equal. Yeah, for for stopping, yes. Yeah. But if it's still moving, I guess yeah, that I guess that would still come into play. Mass times force is equal to acceleration. Is am I getting? Oh my... God, I got that was the that was the one semester. Uh, my period, I got an A. How do I not remember this? I mean, I remember <laughs> D yeah. equals V I T plus one half A T squared. That's pretty much all I've got for physics. <laughs> I I did not pass. It's F equals MA. Physics. F equals MA. F equals MA. F equals MA. Force oh. equals mass times acceleration. Yeah, oh, yeah, you got you. yeah, you got to mix up. I had there. all the things. F equals MA. Yes. So, we would have to have this divided. Okay. Yeah. I can, that's I can how that's yeah. I can manipulate and then math a formula. Happens. Yeah. And then math happens. Yeah, you got science. Look at me sciencing yeah. with my science brain. Yeah. Hmm. And we know how fast it's moving. We don't know how it's mass. No, but I mean, it's not exactly lightweight either. No. No. But I mean, the thing I was kind of considering is would a more unscrupulous person damn the torpedoes in full speed ahead? Or is it at this point not just the hill, but the fact that there is a comically tiny child on top of it? Mm. So, like, how long has he been standing there? <laughs> right. Did he hear them coming? He must have heard them coming, I would think. And the other question I have is... Does Jedediah know he's doing this? <laughs> is, is this it just him going like, out to play? Yeah, like, <laughs> have fun. And then Jedediah is just, like, Junior is just up on this berm 
And she's like, I'm going to catch a train. Yeah, Jedediah is a free-range parent. He just lets the kid go off and have fun out there in the wasteland where you know. he could get kidnapped by raiders and slavers and eaten Whoa. by lizards and stuff. But then again, but does it's that... not like there's a lot of raiders in the neighborhood. But does that speak to the toughness of the child, though? It's like Terry Pratchett has a character named Cohen the Barbarian, who you should fear oh, because yeah. he's like elderly. And imagine how tough a barbarian has to be to make it to an elderly stage. Mm. How tough does this child have to be that he's allowed to hijack a train by himself in this wasteland? Like, this is the toughest child alive. I suspect that he was out hunting and heard the train. And the hill must have already been set up. It's not like he quickly shoveled a pile up there. Mm -hmm. Must have been a prearranged thing. Karen, before we started recording... We were talking about this, and you agree with me that this has a bit of a Pulp Fiction-y vibe to it. Oh, it really does. I don't think I shared this video that I have in mind to the Mad Max Minute Beyond microphone page. I might have saved it on the Mad Max Minute page proper, although I don't think so. Somewhere there exists a video that I made overlaying the audio from Honey Buddy in Pulp Fiction (gasps) over what... Jedediah Jr. is saying here, and it works surprisingly well. It works a lot better than it really should. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so either he sounds like a middle-aged woman, or the middle-aged woman sounds like a small child. (laughs) I think it's a little column A, a little column B. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's art again. It rhymes. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It rhymes in a weird, uh, shouty voice. Yeah. And I understand it's a PG-13 movie. You can't have this little kid calling everybody pricks and vowing to execute every mothering last one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Mother loving last one of them on this mother uh, Monday to Friday plane. (laughs) He's had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. Yes, there we go. Unfortunately for Jedediah Jr., this train that he's captured is not alone. In the time that we've spent dealing with Pig Killer and moving the train along, Auntie and her cohorts have found a way past the gully. And they are thundering along in the distance, chasing after the train once again. And as everybody looks back at this group of people as if to say, Really? Kid? You're gonna stop us? It reminds me of a scene in episode one of Star Wars. Really? Where, this, is, this is where you went? Where Qui-Gon Jinn says, do you mm. hear that? And you hear a rumbling noise in the distance. And Jar Jar Binks says, yeah. And Qui-Gon says, that is the sound of a thousand terrible things heading this way. And then Obi-Wan slips in to say, if they find us, they will crush us, grind us into tiny pieces, and blast us into oblivion. Man, that was some really quality writing in that movie, wasn't it? Yeah, I feel bad for Obi-Wan that he actually had to say that. Oh, <laughs> and Qui-Gon, I mean, that was Liam Neeson. Yeah, they deserve better. They're both... Excellent, amazing actors who have done some really great work. They are pretty much the only reason I ever watched that movie. Yeah. Well, we think we can all agree, regardless of the quality or how, what anyone thinks of that, Ewan McGregor's Alec Guinness impersonation Spot is on. like hands down just yes, like a beautiful. fine wine. It got better with age. Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. So Jedediah Jr., hearing those thousand terrible things heading this way yeah. and not wanting to be crushed, ground up, and blasted into oblivion, mm. says, Oh, I think we're all dead meat. And he hightails it as fast as those tiny little legs will take him. It's the cutest, heavily armed nope I've ever seen. (laughs) 
because he's just this, it, it's like a a little just mass of of stuff of mm-hmm. like helmet guns jacket all of this stuff and then just these two unarmored just little legs just boop, 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 boop. comb the desert <laughs> <laughs> so what's the consensus on Jedediah Jr. are we a fan are we not a fan is he annoying what's the verdict he is a little scrappy do I will put that out there I do find him to be a little scrappy do esque in the like super powered ultra kind of precocious shrill sort of way but I do I, I do kind of like that of of a lot of the characters in this like he understands like almost instantly the gravity of the situation which normally you know we might not be like yeah oh see ya and then he's <laughs> <Yeah>. gone <laughs> like that's that's why he is a kid who can be a free range kid in the wasteland and still be okay is because he's like the like one of the few children with that level of like self-awareness and yeah. common sense I think it would have been more annoying if he tried to, like, take them on or, like, just kept trying to interject himself into the shot and into the moment. Instead, he's just like, nope, nope. Uh, I clearly am over my head in this because you guys have brought a lot of nope with you, so I'm just going to nope. And then he just nopes out. But he doesn't drop anything. No, well, that's all valuable. Resources are valuable in the wasteland. I know, it's true, but how easy would it have been for him to be like, nope, throw everything up because it was going (laughs) to weight him down and then beat feet. But, yeah, he, but he knew he, he, knew he was going, his shelter was nearby. It's true. I'm definitely a fan, mostly because he's a good example of what the next generation in this post-apocalypse existence has to be like. Mm, true. They have to be tough kids. They have to be capable and skilled. They need to know how to shoot and hunt and not really fly planes, because that's pretty odd, but he can anyways. If humanity is going to survive, it's going to be because of kids like this. Children are our future. Especially the ones with, you know, good aim. It's been a while since we've mentioned Whitney. Help them lead the way. Something like that. Show them all the beauty. They possess inside. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure anybody is showing Jedediah Jr. the beauty he possesses inside. Um, no. No, I got nothing. (laughs) That requires, I mean, that's kind of an overarching sort of theme in all of the movies is the good... And the many versus the, you know, I'm going to put my own mask on first when, you know, the plane is crashing. So you have like, you know, Jedediah Jr. and Jedediah and they're like, we're all about us. But then you have, you know, the kids and they have to live as a collective. And I think kind of like Bottertown, like that's just something, you know, there was a formed thought here. <laughs> my, my own train may have just been hijacked by a small child with a semi-automatic <laughs> weapon. No, but I mean like the interplay between isolationist and like cooperative living and, mm. you know, which way is better for humanity. You're going to have people who are going to be opportunistic and like I would consider... Jed and Jed Jr. There you go. You know, they're opportunistic people. I mean, we know they're opportunistic because they, they kind of rob Max at the very beginning, don't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of everything. Yeah. In a and very literal life. sense. <laughs> so, yeah. We've talked a lot throughout this movie about the two groups of people that we encounter, the waiting ones and the crack in the earth and Barter Town, and we've compared and contrasted them and their governing styles and their sustainability and their legacy. We've never considered jed and jed jr to be a third group but i think that they are they live out there all by themselves and they sustain themselves but not on their own jedediah goes into barter town to get supplies 
but there's no legacy to be had there. They're feral cats. Like, mm. you, they think that they're wild and free, but they still have to live near civilization to survive. Well, that's just right. humanity as a species. Like, even the loners, no matter how much Facebook introverts will, like, try and insist otherwise, ultimately there is still a social dependence somewhere in there. It's just more in some than others. And, yeah, like, we learn socially, we communicate, we survive socially. It's just, you know, Jedediah and Junior just sort of, uh... They just minimize their social interactions. Yeah. I have to laugh because this reminds me of, uh, I, I took an anthropology class and one of the things said, well, humans are social animals. And I raised my hand and I'm like, well, how do we know that? Because it's not like antisocial people will be the ones lining up to talk to the anthropologist. And the teacher <laughs> just gave me the dirtiest look and I'm like, yep, this is going to be a long <laughs> semester. But yeah. wow. It's like all of those census taker sketches from Saturday Night Live. I don't remember those sketches. They did one in recent years for, I think, a Mother's Day episode where Betty White was hosting. And Tina Fey came to the door as the census taker and Betty White opened the door. And every question that Tina Fey asked her, Betty White had some just insane answer for her. And (laughs) they'd done it before, I think, with Christopher Walken, I want to say. I don't know the exact list of everyone who's done the census sketch. Yeah. But it was back in the 90s when Tim Meadows was on the show. Mm -hmm. And he was the census taker that first time. And I want to say it was Christopher Walken that they did it it. with. But just ridiculous thing. Like, how many people live here? And Betty White's like, 19. And Tina Fey's like, in this one-bedroom apartment, (laughs) is that 19 people? And Betty White's like, well... Do you count the cats? And Tina Fey's like, no. And she said, oh, then zero. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous little sketch. If you can watch it in your country, because I know that sometimes NBC Universal will lock down certain sketches to certain countries, but it's very funny in my opinion. Well, it's only applicable to the United States because we're the only ones that take census, right? Really? I don't know. I'm kidding. That's Oh, okay. Yeah, because I legitimately don't know. I didn't research it at all. I have no idea. <laughs> it didn't, it, the census didn't originate in the U.S., so I would say probably not. Depending on the size of the country, you don't even need a census. You just need to look out the window and start counting. Uh, yep. <laughs> We're all everybody. Here. Yep. Raise your hand if you're not here. Okay, good. There we go. Done. That's how I'm taking attendance. <laughs> Off to the pub. <laughs> Jedediah Jr. is scurrying away, which I think is the best way to describe it. And he runs along some rocks, and he comes upon a burned-out car wreck with an open trunk. And he tosses the guns into the car, climbs in, and then he grabs a rope attached to this lid, and he starts pulling on it. And of course, because he's tiny, he has to expend a lot of effort to get that door to swing closed. I looked up this vehicle. Thank you, MadMaxMovies.com, because they had an excellent list there. Also, the Internet Movie Cars database. And I found out that it is a 1959 Chrysler Royal. The Chrysler Royal was produced by Chrysler Australia from 1957 to 1963. And after investing in tooling to stamp body panels for the 1954 P25 series Plymouth locally, and with Chrysler headquarters in Detroit unwilling to assist in the costs of retooling for the new U.S. models, Hmm. Chrysler Australia 
made the decision to develop their own range. Using as much of the existing tooling as possible, whilst also realizing that the new car had to appear as different as possible. The doors and basic structure of the P25 sedan was retained, and with input from Australia and American Chrysler designers, the 1955 US Plymouth front sheet metal was adapted to the P25 body, and the rear quarter panels were redesigned. They also added a wraparound rear windscreen, which caused development problems with Pilkington Glass, the Australian suppliers who struggled to get the correct curved shape. I can imagine that would be hard. Yeah, curving glass on a massive scale like that, not easy. Especially when it's something you want to be durable if possible. I wonder how durable Durable that that back windshield is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Tempered. That's that's a a word I probably was looking for. (laughs) I'm glad you're here with the words. Hey. Yeah. It's it's this or they're going to be the incorrect words, and I will <laughs> shout them too loudly. <laughs> Tempered! I really like that story. So Australia wanted to change the look of the car. Detroit said no, so they're like, fine, we're just going to make our own. Mm-hmm. All right. Fair enough. Yep. So wait, I, I need to backtrack a little. Did you say like the Internet Movie Car Database? Oh, yeah. So you've got the Internet Movie Database. Yeah. IMDB. You've yep. got the Internet Movie Cars Database. Okay. And yeah. then you've also got the Internet Movie Firearms Database. Uh, of course. Between okay. those three resources, I get a lot of my information. Oh, that's fantastic. I was not aware of two-thirds of the sites that you just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I, I mean, mean, yeah. I'm not the slightest bit surprised, but no. yeah. there was a part of me that for a while that honestly believed the most meticulous database on the internet was the Lego database, but I'm starting to think maybe maybe these will put the run for their money. Yeah, if you're ever sitting there watching a movie and you see a car drive by and you're like, what was that? You can go on the Internet Movie Cars database and you can look up that movie and chances are there will be a listing. Okay, in this scene at this time code, there's a car uh. that drives by. That's this car because people have too much time on their hands. No. This podcast case in point. <laughs> no, bless the gearheads. They're, that's awesome. Like, I just love the fact that... So here's an, a ridiculous kind of sidebar. I collect comic books and I know a bunch of people in fandom for different things, but they're toy people. And there's not a convention I go to where I like thank the stars above that I was not like a toy collector. Because comic books, like there's a certain... It's like a finite, there's so many toys with so many different things. So I look at like anything, like the fact that there are like the car fandom, that's awesome. Like, I'm so stoked you guys are out there. And I I mean, guys in the gender neutral sort of way. There are some gearhead ladies out there too. There are quite a few. In fact, yes. Usually if I need to know what a car is in a movie, I show my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Does your dad know about this website? I don't think he does. So he might he, start contributing to he it. He might he become a moderate. It. No, he doesn't have time to do that, but he <laughs> but he would definitely uh laugh with delight at it. I could just see like Liz is to TV tropes as, as this, you know, as my dad as is to the card yeah. database. Yeah. If he had if he had the nerdiness days, to like if he can actually time. finally retire, then he might actually uh start taking care of that, yeah. I don't think we mentioned this enough, but there is a huge community online and in real life, obviously, of people who will take car kits and they will make replica vehicles from these movies out of these kits. And they'll do like 16th scale and 32nd scale and all of these different scales. And they'll put together these complex dioramas and just display cases full of these movie-accurate scale models of these vehicles. And some of the stuff that people are able to make is just 
mind-boggling. Custom vehicles from Mad Max Fury Road cobbled together from several different model sets that they're able to put together, assemble, paint, weather. It's mind-boggling. There has to be someone out there with a diorama of Junior on the hill and the train (laughs) with the background. Someone has to have made this. I hope so. Just a tiny little Jedediah Jr. sitting up against that train. Oh, I've seen people make this stuff out of plastic. I've seen people make it out of paper. I've Mm. seen people make stuff just completely custom. They'll 3D print their own pieces. They'll buy kits specifically. It's awe-inspiring. The stuff that these people are able to do in scale. Because I don't have the fine motor skills to do tiny scale work. And these people do. The smallest scale I think I can stand is Lego. (laughs) That's pretty small, though. Yeah. It's it's not... Get the little flat pieces that are like two pegs. It's not tiny little painting, though. That takes... Yeah, I've helped many a friend. I've provided painting assistance to people before Warhammer 40k tournaments and like sitting there with the teeny tiny brushes. I was one of the few in the room who was like patient enough to deal with that. Yeah, no, at like three in the morning (laughs) while watching Zardoz in the background. Of course. It was an interesting time in my life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I bet. But those Eldar were painted well. Let me tell you, that armor looks beautiful. Crisp. Yeah. So that pretty much brings us to the end. Jedediah Jr. is pulling on this rope. He is trying to get the mechanism to swing shut. There's like some sort of leverage that he's got to work it. And it's not quite catching or swinging at this point. So we'll let him work on it. And we'll come back on Friday. We'll see how he's doing. We'll pick up with that effort. He's going to continue to try to evade his pursuers. But... Thanks to a Tarantino angle, we'll be able to find out that there's more to this burned out wreck than meets the eye. No, it's not a transformer, but it does lead to an underground lair. So that's kind of cool. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 92 of beyond thunderdome see you next time Everybody!